0: reminded that God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised, and the nobodies of this world to do His work on earth. And that includes the work of evangelism. You know, sometimes we get so busy doing church that we forget we've got a job to do. That we are to study God's Word not only for our own personal benefit and the benefit of our families, but to be able to share God's Word with others. To share the Gospel, the good news, with a world that obviously needs to hear it. Now, as a church, we do take seriously the need to share the Gospel in other places. Nearly a fourth of our income is given to missions. We support mission work in Thailand, Jamaica, Mexico, and Haiti. For a time, we had Timothy's in France and Greece, and we have one now preparing to go to Morocco. We understand the need for worldwide evangelism and for planting new churches in urban settings. But do we remember that as believers, we also have a personal responsibility to share our faith? You know, I'm afraid in a day of media blitzes, missional church projects, and big event evangelism, we sometimes overlook the need for personal evangelism. In fact, we don't hear as much about personal evangelism as we used to. And I was reminded of that fact recently when talking to a retired minister at the gym. He was telling me how he had led a church to significant growth during a lengthy ministry, and then mentioned that he had a lot of James Kennedy tapes he was willing to give to someone who would use them. He then asked me how old I was and declined to offer them to me because he figured I was too old, and we all know you can't teach old dogs new tricks. However, had he offered them to me, I would have declined his offer. You know, James Kennedy was the minister of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and the author of Evangelism Explosion, the most widely used manual on personal evangelism in the 70s. His approach to evangelism was very direct and even confrontational in nature. Going door to door, evangelists were trained to ask a series of questions that they knew most people would answer incorrectly. They were to then give them the right answers and lead them to make a decision for Christ on the spot. I was never comfortable with Kennedy's approach, or with any other confrontational, high-pressure approach that was being taught in churches at the time. I'm sure they got results, and many churches did explode using them, but they differed significantly from the approach Paul used when he arrived in Corinth. We read of his approach in 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I think from what he said in these five verses, we can outline Paul's plan for evangelism, personal or otherwise, like this Don't act superior. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be powerful and confident. Don't be clever or persuasive. Don't try to convert people. That sounds like a strange plan for evangelism. Maybe even a bit foolish. Well, let's see. Back to verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now, Paul had been given the testimony of God, the revealed word of God to proclaim. But he didn't come to town like a big shot evangelist. Acts tells us Paul came to town as a tent maker. He found a hospitable Jewish couple who also worked as tent makers and moved in with them. On the Sabbath, he would go with them to the synagogue and tell Jews and Greeks about Jesus. But the rest of the week, he was just a tent maker until funds came from Macedonia, and he was able to devote himself full time to sharing the gospel. He had the most important message in the world to share, but he didn't act as if he were the most important man in the world. And how easy it is to think of ourselves as important when we've got an important job to do. How easy it is to set ourselves above those we want to reach, to, to feel superior or holier or something then we wonder why we turn people off when we try to share our faith with them. You know, there's something I heard years ago that I think can help us keep the proper attitude in witnessing. And that is, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And I like that. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You know, the only thing that separates you from a non-Christian is that you are forgiven. And God loves the other guy just as much as he loves you. And he wants to forgive him, too. So in evangelism, don't act superior. Don't act like you think you're better than anyone else. And don't try to impress anyone with your vast knowledge of, Of religious things. Don't be a know-it-all. Paul wasn't. At least not in Corinth. Verse 2. For I determined to know nothing among you. Except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Now before coming to Corinth. Paul stopped briefly in Athens. While there he taught publicly. Publicly. About Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this was new to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who abounded in the city, and and they wanted to know more. So they took Paul to the Oropagus and gave him a chance to address them formally. And he did a masterful job. He started by complimenting them for being religious people, and then took them from where they were to where he wanted them. He quoted their poets and refuted their philosophers point by point. And some believed and joined with him. But it appears that Paul didn't feel he had been very successful, because when he gets to Corinth, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I think Paul is saying, hey, in Athens... I tried the intellectual approach. I took on the philosophers and I reasoned right through their beliefs to Jesus. But most weren't receptive to the gospel, so I'm not going to try to have all the answers anymore. I'm not going to spend my time studying up on all your beliefs and philosophies I'm not going to try to answer all of your objections point by point just to prove to you that I'm right. If you're receptive, I'll tell you about Jesus. And I'll answer your honest, personal questions as best I can. But I'm going to quit trying to argue people into the kingdom I'm not going to try to overwhelm you with my vast knowledge of spiritual things and mentally wrestle you into submission. The only thing I know that I want you to know is Jesus and Him crucified. He wasn't there to give them a new philosophy to ponder. He wasn't there to give them a history lesson. And tell them about a historical Jesus. He was there to introduce them to a living Jesus. One who would become their daily companion and guide through life. He wanted them to understand what Jesus had done for them. He wanted them to understand the crucifixion. Now, an understanding of the crucifixion means an understanding of the plan of salvation, an understanding of the cross and why Jesus had to die and how his death makes possible eternal life for us. In order to share our faith with anyone, we must be able to share with them the basic plan of salvation, what Christ has done for us and how we are to respond to what he has done. Now, over the years, I've shared with many of you a brief outline that lays out some of the basic facts of the plan of salvation. And I'd be happy to sit down and teach it to any of you who would like a brief presentation of the gospel for your own sake or to be able to share it with others. And, in fact, I have copies of it with me, and if you'd like, I'll share it during Sunday school this morning because we do have to know something If we're going to share our faith. But we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be walking Bible encyclopedias to be effective evangelists. And we don't have to know all the various beliefs and philosophies that exist to be able to defend Christianity point by point against those on an intellectual trip. All we need to know is Jesus and how to share him with others. Be able to tell them how we came to know him. As we do. We don't need to know everything. But still, won't you be afraid going into a situation not knowing all the answers? Probably. Paul was. Let's read on. (laughs) And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. Now that certainly doesn't sound like the personality requirements for personal evangelism, as presented in a little book entitled The Personal Evangelist that I used to study. There the author stresses the need for confidence and radiance, telling us to review our personal qualifications So as to be at the peak of readiness. But Paul said he came to the Corinthians in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. That doesn't sound very confident. In fact, Paul was afraid. He was really afraid. He'd been driven out of Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea before coming to Corinth. He was scared afraid he'd be beaten up and afraid he'd blow it like he apparently thought he had done in Athens. In fact, he got so afraid that he started to clam up. So the Lord appeared to him in a vision to strengthen him. In Acts 18, 9 and 10, we read, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Paul needed some assurance, and he got it. After being assured, he settled down and he stayed in Corinth a year and a half, teaching God's Word. Now, the Lord may not come to us in a vision at night to reassure us, But if we're afraid, God will give us the strength we need to do what He's asked us to do. He's promised to be with us, to strengthen us, and to even give us the words we need if we'll trust Him. So we don't have to psych ourselves up for witnessing, build up our confidence, and convince ourselves we can do it. All we have to do is trust the Lord. Our testimony may be weak and faulty and fearful, but He's promised that our work for Him will not be in vain. He will use us and our trembling efforts if we will just tell people what's on our heart. Thankfully, we don't have to be clever or persuasive to do that or to be good evangelists. Back in the 17th verse of chapter 1, Paul said Christ didn't send him to preach the gospel in cleverness of speech. And here in the first part of verse 4, he says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Paul didn't need to be clever or persuasive. Because he wasn't out to manipulate people. He didn't memorize the 12 effective appeals. He didn't follow the nine steps of effective witnessing or visiting. He didn't play psychological games to get his prospects, I hate that term, to get his prospects in a positive frame of mind and try to keep them from saying no at all costs. He didn't do that. A little trick I was taught years and years ago. And you take a decision card to somebody, you know, and after you've got them ready to say yes and they've not said no to anything, then you take out the card and you put a pencil on the edge of the card and then you roll it toward them. The pencil will roll down to their hand and they'll take the pencil and they're ready to sign. And you can make a conversion. How lame is that? We were taught that. And it might work. But you know, Paul didn't see himself as a salesman. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he comes right and says, We are not like many, peddling the word of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a salesman. Even a salesman who knows the tricks of the trade. But it's not our job to sell anyone on Jesus. In fact... We can't. Not really. Before anyone can really buy into Jesus, they have to be convinced of things that we can't convince them of. In John 16, Jesus told us, The Holy Spirit convicts a man of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those are things we can never do. We will never convince a man... He is a sinner, or that he isn't righteous, or that judgment is coming. And if we can't convince him of that, we obviously won't be able to convince them of their need for a savior. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So we don't have to be clever. We don't have to use persuasive words of wisdom. We don't have to learn the art of closing from Xerox so we can get a decision. In fact, we shouldn't be trying to convert people anyway. Let's read on. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know, if we talk people into the kingdom, they'll think we're clever. If we reason them in, they'll think we are wise. But that's not what we want. We want them to experience the power of the cross in their life. We want Christ to draw them into his kingdom. All we need to do is introduce people to our Savior and share with them how he can be their Savior too. If they're open to the truth, the Holy Spirit will convict them of their need for a Savior. And Jesus himself will convert them. He will change them. It's not our place to change people. We must let Jesus change them. If we convert them, they will be our converts. Kind of like Moody's drunk we talked about a couple weeks ago. All we do is introduce people to Jesus and then let Him convert them. He's responsible for conversions. Not us. He's the one who makes our efforts productive. God gives the increase. All we do is sow seed and maybe water a bit. He makes the changes. He brings the growth. He does the converting. His power changed us And it can change others. We want them to experience the power of the cross, not the power of clever or persuasive rhetoric. We want them to experience Christ at work in their life so their faith will rest in Him and what He can do, not on anything else. I think that's Paul's plan of evangelism. Don't act superior. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be powerful and confident. Don't be clever or persuasive. Don't try to convert people. Or maybe we ought to express it positively. Humble yourself. Just know Jesus. Let Him strengthen you. Let Him do the convicting. Let Him change people. Now, He can do that. (laughs) He's done it for me, and He can do it for you. There's room at the cross for you, both as a sinner in need of grace and as an evangelist bearing the good news. If you want to experience the power of the cross, come and accept it. If you want to share the power of the cross, just tell people about it. And Christ will take it from there. We have a job to do. We've been called to share our faith. Every one of us. Many have been intimidated into silence over the years by evangelistic programs. Let's forget the programs. Just share Jesus. And if you need a little something, an outline, a format to tell them how they can get to know him, come to Sunday school. I'll give you a copy what's written in the back of my Bible and show you how to use it. Okay? There's room at the cross for us. There's room at the cross for any who will learn of the cross. Let's share it.